my life looks like chaos at times, but you know what? God is on his throne. God does have a plan. God is sovereign. And I hope that this study has helped to reinforce that. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The somber gives way to the song. The transfer is from darkness to light, from black to white, from dreary days of judgment to bright days of blessing. This chapter makes a definite bifurcation in Revelation and ushers in the greatest event for the earth, the second coming of Christ. Have you ever been driving down the road on a dark, cloudy day and suddenly had the sun break through and shine down, changing the way everything looks? Well, today in our year-long series entitled The Revelation, we come to a portion of the book of Revelation that breaks through the dark days of judgment and changes the way everything looks. All of the corruption, all of the injustice, all of the death and just everything praise Him because of the beginning of the celebration. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Well, we've come a long way in our study of the book of Revelation, and today we come to chapter 19, one of the most exciting chapters in all the Bible, because the tribulation period is coming to a close, and the second coming of Christ is at hand. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. This really is the New Testament's version of the hallelujah chorus. As Pastor Clay is going to show us in verses 1 through 10 today, what comes out of heaven is a fourfold hallelujah chorus that calls us to praise our Lord for His judgment of the harlot and the marriage of the Lamb. All of God's people have been looking forward to this day as the stage is set for Christ to set up His kingdom on earth. Now, here's Pastor Clay with today's message. All of it is good, right? All of this whole study in Revelation uh, is good and it's profitable and it's teaching us truth of, about God and about His plans and, and, and all of those things. But, uh, but basically, from chapter 6 uh, all the way through chapter 18, with very little interruption, we have uh, seen the judgments of God, and they have made up the vast majority of the content of this book. And it's, it's not easy to look at, uh, at least for me, it has not been easy to look at week after week after week, and I've said this, I know before, but to look week after week after week at the judgments of God and what is going to happen to those who reject God, reject his son Jesus Christ, and embrace the Antichrist during that period of time, what happened to them is not necessarily easy to look at. Now, please understand, they're getting what they deserve. God's word makes it clear that God has sent his son so that people could be saved from their sins, could escape the wrath of God on sin, and could have a relationship with him. And we've seen through this study uh, how and that's one of the things that really has, has stood out to me through these judgments is how time after time after time after time God has continued to try and draw people to him. Even through the judgments, he's continued to say, come, come to me, come to me. I, I, I'll, I'll accept you, I'll forgive you. And over and over and over and over again. And they refuse to do that. Some, many do, but, but as we've seen, uh, a great many refuse to do that. They reject the true Christ and embrace the Antichrist and as a result uh, face the judgments. They're getting what they deserve, but 
but that still doesn't make it easy. It, it weighs on you. And that is not in itself necessarily a bad thing. I was at a meeting in Cary this week, and uh, someone asked me what I was preaching on uh, right now. And I told them that we're spending a year walking through the book of Revelation. Everybody always looks shocked when you say that. You know, they're like, spending a year walking through the book of Revelation. But, but uh, the, the person that asked me asked me what I thought was a great question. Uh, he said, what do, you, what do you pray or what do you hope that the people have gotten out of and are getting out of this study? And I thought that was a great question because I, I have thought that, but I don't know that I'd ever articulated it uh, like that. And, and I told him, I said, well, I, I certainly pray that we have gained a fresh appreciation for the sovereignty of God and, and for his plans and, and for the fact that ultimately God is in control and he is accomplishing his purposes, which should strengthen our lives as we say, boy, my, my life looks like chaos at times, but you know what? God is on his throne. God does have a plan. God is sovereign. And, and I hope that this study has helped to reinforce that. And I certainly hope, and as I told him, and, and, I, and I prayed that this study has has increased our understanding of just how much God loves us. Just how much he loves and just how great a salvation we truly have. But most important of all, I pray that this study has increased our burden for those who do not have a relationship with the living God. Across the room, across the street, across the world, People without a relationship with Jesus Christ have no hope. And I pray that through this study, we have, and, and that, that, that cross-culture church has been infected with a burden for those who need to know our God. We must be, we must be on mission for God and to take the message of Jesus to all of those that we have opportunity to do so in Haiti, around the world, in the next cubicle over, wherever God gives us opportunity. Chapter uh, 19 is, uh, uh, opens up, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to read it in just a moment, but it opens up with these words, after these things. And, and so it's clearly an implication that it's a transition from chapter 18. It is, in fact, Revelation uh, chapter 19, these first 10 verses that we're going to read here this morning, is, in fact, a response to Revelation chapter 18 and verse 20, which says this. Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you saints, and apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. Let's read it this morning. Appreciate so much you being here. You honor the Lord with your presence. And I pray that he speaks to each of our hearts today. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. 
And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and the great. And then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren. Who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation chapter 19 is uh, a change. Uh, You could probably sense it even there in the reading of the chapter. Especially if you've been with us throughout all these judgments. As I said that began in chapter 6 and and have carried on all the way through chapter 18. There's been a transition. Now there are still uh, Uh, some judgments that we're going to find at the end of chapter 19 and some judgments at uh, in chapter uh, 20 but by and large uh, we've made a transition in the revelation of God Uh, as a matter of fact uh, I read this from uh, J. Vernon McGee in his uh, commentary on the book of Revelation he said uh, chapter 19 makes a dramatic change in the tone of revelation Uh, the destruction of Babylon marks the end of the great tribulation The somber gives way to the song. The transfer is from darkness to light, from black to white, from dreary days of judgment to bright days of blessing. This chapter makes a definite bifurcation in Revelation and ushers in the greatest event for the earth, the second coming of Christ. It's the bridge between the great tribulation and the millennium. That's Revelation Chapter 19, and as I said, it really comes in response to, uh, to particularly chapter 18 and, and verse 20, this command to rejoice uh, over her. Now, uh, if you have uh, been with us through these, especially these last few weeks, you know that her uh, is a reference to, in chapter 17, the symbolic Babylon, which represents the false religious system of the world. And in chapter 18 that we looked at last week, it represents or symbolizes, uh, symbolic Babylon uh, represents the economic and political system that in some sense exists, you know, today. And we talked about it all last week, but that will, will culminate in the Antichrist's kingdom, uh, his political system, his economic system. In chapter 18, we saw the destruction of that. So the her refers to this symbolic Babylon, false religion, false uh, uh, antichrist, and his economic uh, system as well. 
And so uh, as, as 19 opens, after these things, I heard something loud, like a loud voice with a great multitude of heaven in heaven saying, and here comes this hallelujah, this first hallelujah. This is the first of four hallelujahs that takes place in Revelation chapter 19. Four hallelujahs in the first six verses. This is, by the way, the only four places in the entire New Testament that the word hallelujah appears. The word hallelujah simply means praise the Lord. That's what it means. Now, it's used today, we use it today, as kind of a a declaration of our praise and worship to God. Either in a song or, or perhaps you hear somebody say in a, in a church service or so, in some setting they might say, Hallelujah! We use it as kind of a, a declaration of our praise and our worship to God. But in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Psalms, it was a command. It was a command to the people to uh, Hallel Yah. Uh, Yah being an abbreviation for Yahweh which is the Hebrew word for the personal name of God. So uh, it was actually a command, command to praise Yahweh, praise God, give praise to God. And so Revelation chapter 19 opens with this command, hallelujah, give praise to the Lord, praise God. Why? Well, in chapter 19 and verse 1, because salvation and glory and power belong to our God. In the, in the Greek New Testament, in the Greek that the book of Revelation was originally written in, there's an article in front of each one of those so that it, it actually says the salvation and the glory and the power belong to our God. Praise Him. Give praise to the Lord. Hallelujah because of those. And verse 2, hallelujah, praise God, give praise uh, to God because, and it goes on, his judgments are true and righteous in verse 2. Give praise to him, hallelujah, praise God. And it continues on, give praise, hallelujah, praise the Lord because he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. Listen to these reasons that he's giving to praise God. He has, he, he has brought judgment on her. She has corrupted the earth. She has led people away from the living God and now God has judged them. Hallelujah, praise God, praise the Lord for what he has done. And then still in verse two, praise him, hallelujah, praise the Lord, because he has avenged the blood of his bondservants. And we talked all about that earlier and how, how uh, followers of Jesus have been persecuted for their faith. And, and God's saying, praise God, because that's come to an end. And, and listen, he's just getting warmed up. He's just getting started. In verse 3, we hear again, and a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Now, that brings up a point. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. That speaks, ladies and gentlemen, to the eternal nature of judgment. There are those um, in, in certain circles that believe in what is known as annihilationism. Annihilationism is the belief that, that, yes, God is on his throne and God is going to judge uh, sinfulness and God is going to judge the world, but it's going to be a, a, a one-time judgment. There'll be destruction, they'll be destroyed, and that's it. Uh, no more, uh, no more ju- that just, that's just the end of it. They're annihilated. 
but the Bible teaches something different, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you and I like it or not, the Bible teaches something different. As I've said before, the Bible teaches, and, and, and we believe that everybody is going to live forever somewhere. Judgment is eternal. Her smoke rises up forever and forever. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then, in verse 4... The 24 elders and the, and the four living creatures get in on the act. Now, if, you're, if you haven't been with us so long, you may, this may be your first time you've heard about the 24 elders and the four living creatures. But we first saw them all the way back in Revelation chapter 4. Y'all remember that? Do like that and you make me feel good. Yeah, it's just etched in your mind. You remember. Way back in chapter 4, we were first introduced to the 24 elders and the four living creatures. I told you then, uh, there is differences of opinion on this, but I told you then that I believe that the 24 elders represent the church from, from Pentecost to the rapture. From, from the moment the church was birthed until the church is taken out of here, uh, I believe that the 24 elders represent that, that by, represent us. The church and the four living creatures, I believe, represent all of God's creation. So that all, all of God's creation, all, the church, ever you see it? Can you see how everybody's getting in on this act? Can you see how this thing is building? It says, and the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sits on the throne, saying, and listen to this. Amen, hallelujah. They're agreeing with the first two hallelujahs. Amen means truly or that's right. So they're saying, That's right, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. Hallelujah. The the 24, the church gets in on the act. All of God's creation gets in on the act. And then, verse 5 and 6, And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Can you see, you know, it's like... uh, You've seen on TV or if you've ever been to the ocean, you see how a, a wave starts out at some point and, and it rolls across the ocean and, and it begins to build and, and the closer it gets to shore, the, the more it builds up, the more it builds up until it finally comes crashing down with just this thunderous sound, especially if it's the big waves, big breakers that have moved across, this thundering crash down onto the shore. That, that, that's what's kind of happening here on the on the shore of history, if you will, as, as this, this praise is just building and building and building and coming across and more and more people in heaven, this scene, are getting involved in this praise and this worship and, until it builds into this wave of, of worship, this wave of praise, and it comes crashing down as in verse 6. Listen to this. Here's what John says. Then I heard. He, John says, here's what it sounded like. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude. Well, I guess so. Everybody's gotten in on this. Great multitude. And like the sound of many waters. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Saying, here it is, the fourth one. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. What a, what a crescendo of praise and worship that has been building and listen, folks, here's why. This thing is over. It's, it's, it's over. That's what this is all about. 
It's come to an end. All of the, all of the abuses, all of the injustices, all the inequity, inequity all, of the, uh, all of the stuff of life and, and all that, that this world system and false religions, all the, everything that it's done, it's all coming to an end. And all of heaven, in response to the, to the declaration in 1820 to rejoice, all of heaven is shouting in praise, Hallelujah, praise God, praise the Lord. Which then is a great place to introduce our big picture biblical principle for Revelation 19, 1 through 10. The BP squared is this. Praise the Lord for the end of the harlot. Praise Him because all of this has come to an end. Praise Him not because people will spend eternity in, in damnation because of the rejection of God. No, but praise Him because because. All of the stuff of the world that makes such a mess of everything, all of the corruption, all of the injustice, all of the death and just everything. Praise him because of the end of the harlot. But that's not all. Praise him because of the beginning of the celebration. In, in verse 7, we begin to see the celebration. First, he said, man, praise him because he's, he's, he's finishing this thing. The harlot is done. The Antichrist is done. The beast is done. This thing is over. Praise him for that. But in verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Here we're introduced to this marriage of the Lamb, this, this marriage celebration, this marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, uh, marriage is, is not a, or comparing, well, let me, let me answer this first. Um, we've established this a couple of different times, but the Lamb, who does the Lamb symbolize? Jesus Christ. So, in, in this, if the Lamb is Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ, here in, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7 and, and following, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. He is the one that is being talked about here. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. If Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, who is his bride? The church. That's right. The, the bride is the church. This is not the first time that Scripture has made an, an analogy out of marriage comparing the relationship between Christ and us, the church, his his bride, Paul makes reference to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and then of course in Ephesians chapter 5, where he really deals with the whole idea of marriage, and he compares what Christ did for his bride, the church, and, and how we as husbands ought to treat our uh, bride. So this is not the first time that he brings it up. And I think, I think that the reason God uses marriage as, as, a, as an analogy as symbolism for us, because that's what it's for. It's trying to help us understand better. I think that he uses marriage as a symbol of our relationship to Christ because that's, do you know, if you're here and you're married, do you know that that level of connectedness, um, that, that depth of love, uh, of, of intimacy, that you have with the person that is your spouse. God's desire, I, I truly believe, is that our relationship to him would be that connected, that 
close, that intimate and personal. My wife knows me like, like no one else knows me. I know her like no one else knows her. And, and, that, and that's how that relates. I think that's why God uses this analogy of, of marriage. And, and listen, maybe this is just a place to stop, just a sidebar, and, uh, and just ask you this rhetorically. You don't have to answer it out loud, but uh, do, you, do you feel like you have that kind of relationship with God? Do you, do you sense that there's a connectedness with God with you that is, that is so close and personal? And if not, then ask God, God, what's missing in my relationship with you? Is there something I, I need to, to do better? Is there some way I need to, is there something? Ask God. I promise you, he'll respond to you because God desires that type of relationship with you. And so in Revelation 19, this, this analogy of, of the marriage uh, that, takes, that is between Christ and his bride, the church, he says, let us rejoice and, and be glad and, and, and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Marriage, uh, the marriage supper or the marriage celebration, in, it is, I guess, perhaps one of the most festive and joyous occasions that any, any culture or society can, can enjoy, right? I mean, if you go to a wedding, uh, whether you're a guest or whether you're participating in it, almost everybody is happy at the wedding. It's just, it's just a very joyous and festive occasion. I was thinking probably everybody's happy except for the, uh, the father of the bride that's got to pay the bill. He may be <laughs> very happy. But, uh, but it's, just, it's just a joyous occasion, right? In Jewish culture, it, at least in, in biblical times, as I understand it, um, a, a couple, uh, a man and a, and a woman, uh, would, would first come together, and the biblical term is they were betrothed. Uh, it, it's more than, than engagement that we think of. We have an engagement period. They, they were betrothed. It was actually a legal, uh, legally binding uh, relationship. They were married uh, in, in Jewish culture. When they were betrothed, they were actually married, but they didn't come together. Uh, the, uh, after the ceremony, the groom would go away. He would leave, and he would go and build or prepare a house, a place for his bride. And when he finished with that place, he would come back and get his bride, as I understand it, and he, he would come unannounced. It could happen at any time. He would come and he would get his bride and then he would take her back to his house that he had prepared for them. And, and the people would come and there would be this huge celebration, this great celebration, this marriage supper, this marriage feast that would last sometimes as much as a week. Now, that gives a whole new perspective, doesn't it, on John chapter 14 and Jesus' words where he says, in my father's house are Many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's a pretty good place to say hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. The bridegroom is preparing the place for the bride. Now, watch this in verse 8. It was given to her, the bride, to clothe herself in fine linen. And the text says, in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen 
is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, listen to me. Pay very good attention to me right now. That does not mean that our works make us righteous. That does not mean that the, that, that the acts that we do, the works that we do, the deeds that we do, if they are done in some way to earn God's approval, that, that doesn't, they do not make us righteous. Uh, B.J. alluded to this morning, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 64 said this. He said, for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. It's a very strong word, by the way, in the Hebrew. I can't even really tell you what it says, because you don't, it, but it's very strong. It, what you do, in other words, if the things you do are done for the approval of God or the merit of God or to somehow make you okay in God's sight, Isaiah says, forget about that. That is nothing but filthy rags to him. No, you and I are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross when we acknowledge our need for him, repent of our sin and, and confess it to him, and then follow after him, God declares us righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he imparted to us, that he placed on us through his sacrifice on the cross. Having done that, though, when we when we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, so to speak, that then makes the things that we then do for God's glory, for God's honor, for God's purposes, that makes those acts then righteous because they're coming from a righteousness that's not based on us, but based on Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've looked at these verses before, but in Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 8 through 10 says this, God saved you through faith as an act of kindness. You had nothing to do with it. Being saved is a gift from God. It's not the result of anything you've done. So no one can brag about it. God has made us what we are. He has created us in Christ Jesus to live lives filled with good works that he has prepared for us to do. So Christ makes us righteous, which then makes the things that we do for him, for his honor and for his glory, makes those works acts of righteousness. And here at the marriage feast, the marriage supper, the marriage celebration, those acts have been a part of, of, of the rewards that God has given to us, part of the result of what God has done in our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about some of those rewards being given to us. Notice that it says it was given to her. It's what God has done, not what we can do. And then, wow, just, uh, just the whole rest of this thing. Not the last two verses, there's just this continual uh, building of this, this, this praise, this worship to God. As a matter of fact, it's, it's such a spectacular scene that apparently John just gets caught up in it and he, he suddenly falls at, his, at the feet of an, of an angel and begins to, to worship him, this, this one who's, who's there. And, and the angel says, whoa, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. I'm not, there's only one who's worthy of worship. And then he says, worship God. Worship God. And then 
there's this little phrase right at the end of verse 10, and uh, I don't want to miss that. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours, and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus worship God. Here it is. Here's a little statement. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. little ending there in that particular part of the text. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The, the testimony of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus who he was, what he did, where he came from, what he accomplished. That's, that's the testimony of Jesus. That's the message of Jesus. It's, it's about him. And John says, that's, that's what prophecy is all about. That's what this book is all about. That's what all the prophetic scripture is all about. It's all about him. Because he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is as John the Baptist said, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is the great shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is, as Joe read in Hebrews chapter 2, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I believe someday, soon, I believe, he's going to get up from that throne. And he's going to call his bride unto himself. He's going to go get his bride. And then what will follow after the tribulation period is a celebration like you've never seen before in your life. And so it is a great scene of celebration. Praise the Lord because of the end of the harlot. And praise the Lord because of the beginning of the celebration. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. This really is the New Testament's version of the hallelujah chorus. Praise God, praise the Lord. And and it's a great opportunity, not, it's a great opportunity to worship Him, not just when He returns, And not just when we gather in here on Sundays, but every day of our lives to shout praises to the God who is worthy of all praise and adoration and glory and honor. As a matter of fact, uh, J.H. Melton said this, and I think he is right on when he says, The element of praise is so often missing in the life and service of the average Christian and the average church. And here's the statement that just gripped my heart. The world would have a different image of Christianity if there were more rejoicing and praise on the part of the people of God. Boy, I absolutely believe that's true. I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if more praise came out of my mouth than complaining. I wonder if people would take more notice of the God I claim I believe in. I wonder if... If my life displayed more of the joy of the Lord than the worry of the world, if people would want to know more about my God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise the Lord. He is worthy because the harlot is defeated and the marriage supper has begun. 
Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. What an exciting scene in heaven as God's people celebrate the victory of God and the marriage of the Lamb and the Bride. In most weddings, the focus is on the bride, but here in chapter 19, the focus is on the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. He is the one who made this moment possible by shedding his own blood to redeem us. It will be a great time of celebration as God is bringing everything into place and preparing for the establishment of the kingdom of Christ. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.